Hello and welcome to the Glow Journal podcast, a conversation with the beautiful minds behind the world's biggest beauty brands. I'm your host, beauty writer Gemma Watts, and in this episode, I'm joined by the founder and CEO of Billion Dollar Brows, Natalie Plain. In the year 2003, standalone brow brands were few and far between. It was in that year, however, that Natalie Plain watched as lash products dominated the beauty market and noticed a gap for dedicated brow products. Natalie had long held an understanding of the role brows play in the overall beauty picture. Having naturally bushy brows as a child, a teenage Natalie had begged her mother to take her to Beverly Hills to have them professionally shaped. The results, she tells me, were transformative, on her confidence above anything else. By 2003, Natalie had been a White House intern and was working as a journalist. And upon noticing that the lash market was exploding, yet so few people were developing products for the brows, despite them being mere millimetres away, she decided it was she who could fill that white space. And so, Billion Dollar Brows was born. What began as a single skew has since grown to a full colour cosmetics line. And today, Billion Dollar Brows is available in 32 countries. In this conversation, Natalie shares the importance of focus groups, why an early understanding of Google AdWords played a key role in her brand's launch, and her advice on dealing with emerging competitors when you are first to market. I have read that even as a child, you begged your mother to take you to get your brows professionally shaped. So let's start right there. What is your very, very earliest memory of beauty? For sure. My earliest memory of beauty was my mother, right? Mm-hmm. The one that you look at day in and day out. And she's just an amazing, beautiful woman. So well put together. I think I, my style stems from her. Um, she was a room mother. She took care of all the kids on the street made sure everybody was happy and got to school on time, got picked up and had treats, you know, just that ideal childhood. That was the epitome of my mother. So she presented herself in a certain way. And I wanted to make sure that my future self would emulate what my mother did. And so my biggest issue that I could see, cause I thought, you know, I, I had, I was very confident, but I had very bushy brows. And so one thing I noticed through looking through magazines, was a trend of women with these amazing groomed eyebrows. And I read an article about somebody getting their eyebrows done and I never forgot that experience of them describing it. And I wanted to experience it as well. So my mother said, let's do this. And she offered up a Saturday afternoon, which with coupled with two sons, right? She's busy Mm. uh, juggling the house and she ran the house and whatnot. She said, let's go get your eyebrows done. And we lived about 30 miles away from Beverly Hills. So we drove there in the Cadillac, we parked, we walked, we had the appointment, showed up on time. And sure enough, they reclined me back in my eyebrows. Didn't, didn't have any expectations other than I knew I was in Beverly Hills. I knew I booked it with the top artists and I knew I was going to end up with something different than what I had. And so when I sat back up, I looked at myself, they handed me the mirror and I said, that's it. This new confidence overcame my body. Everything was like night and day. 
So it was an amazing aha moment for me and my mother as well, because I, I do believe hair removal is a rite of passage. So women take matters into their own hands sometimes. Sometimes they go to professional, but either or, or anything between that rite of passage of hair removal, whether it be here or any other place on your body, is, is something special. And I was able to share it with my mother. I cannot tell you how jealous I am that your first experience having your brows shaped was by a professional because a young Gemma Watts might have ducked home after being told she had a monobrow in year nine and just thought, I'm just, I can wax these off myself. Exactly. Right. I, you know, I, I give credit to where credit's due and it's just professionals knowing their trade. And again, when I read this article in a magazine about transforming the celebrity's eyebrows, I was like, I knew immediately that was my direction. I mean, we live and we learn, don't we? Despite For that, sure. <laughs> despite that early interest that you clearly had in beauty, you were reading these magazines, you understood what professionals did and why they did it. You didn't enter the beauty industry right away. When you were a child, what did you think that you might be when you grew up? Yeah. So my father was a CPA. He was mm-hmm. a certified public accountant. So he some people call it a bean counter, right? He, he looked at people's taxes and would file their taxes. And I thought, I can do that too. I'm going to, I want to be what my dad is. So my mother, um, she, she had a career in the phone company mm-hmm. and she elected to um, not, not complete her career, stop her career to have uh, three children. And so I myself was like, I want to be able to do that, but I also want to have a career and start my own company, which my dad had his own company. So I thought it was, I thought it was destined to be a CPA and I still love math to this day, but I'm just more, I'm more out there. It's like CPAs have to be dialed in, looking at numbers all day long. There's no mistakes. Like if you're one zero off, you're one zero off. And I'm just, I'm attention to detail, but at the same time, I'm very like jazz hands. From 1995 through to 1996, the jazz hands is where I wish we used the video component for this. 1995 to 96, you were a White House intern for President Clinton and the First Lady. I would love to hear more about this time. So, yeah, it was an amazing experience. Let's start there. Mm -hmm. Little Natalie coming out of college had plenty of rejection letters over the years. I mean, I applied to top universities everything in between. And I would get that envelope that's about yay big. And sure enough, it's like, thank you so much for applying, but maybe next year, maybe next year, maybe next year. And I love rejection because it ups my ante. And so I knew with every rejection, I knew how to tweak, pivot and produce to get what I want the next time. So I actually look at those rejection letters as part of the process. Mm -hmm. And so when it came to applying for the White House and working for President Clinton, I was inspired through a news journalist who was a White House intern as well. And it was basically whatever he did to get to where he was in his career as a White House correspondent, I was going to do. And so he did it. I applied, went through various fields of interviews and background checks, et cetera, et cetera. And I, I was very confident. My parents, later, I later found out, were not so confident. But she's got no shot. There is no way Natalie is going to get They told me this later. And... I was sitting in my room one afternoon and my mom says, oh, there's a, there's an envelope from the White House. And I said, what size is it? <laughs> That's all I said. And she said, it's big. I said, yes, I got it. 
I'm in, I'm out of here. We're out of here. We're going to DC. And that was it. And I knew, I knew that was my destiny. And from there, it was just an amazing experience. Wow. God, far removed from beauty. But then I guess there's probably a, a level of thinking on your feet and that sort of stuff that comes in handy now. Oh, for sure. My, my whole philosophy on any career that you choose to partake in is you're telling your story. And mm-hmm. so for me, as a former journalist, going into the White House to become an even better journalist and transitioning to beauty, right, it's storytelling. And so my aha moment, if we're not going to get there at that later on, but really was seeing the transition between shooting a documentary about eyebrows, because I was between jobs and journalism, and pursuing a career in beauty. And so seeing the two from two, two different lenses really allowed me to make that transition seamlessly. And it, to this day, I still carry forward all of my acumen that I, I attained from President Clinton and Miss Mrs. Clinton as well, and the First Lady. And it was it it never leaves you. Well, on that that story that you tell through each job, from there, if research serves me, you took a role at Paramount Pictures where you remained until about late 2000. Was a career in beauty in the back of your mind at all at this time? And then what prompted you to leave that role? No, absolutely not. I, I was very strict about pursuing a career in journalism. So the show that I was on was called Real TV. Mm-hmm. This kind, kind of mixed journalism with YouTube before YouTube was even a wow. thing. Yeah. So it gave birth to YouTube because it was all caught on tape videos. I wrote scripts to it. I would do interviews. So it was like this fast paced Hollywood style journalism that allowed me to get my writing yayas out, but it was fun. And I got, I got to meet so many incredible people and it was Paramount Pictures produced, uh, financed. And so I was able to go on the lot and get to see celebrities and work, you know, hand in hand, but the show is truly a journalism um, style show. So absolutely no to your question. There was nothing of behind the scenes in beauty that was ever, because I thought I want to take this all the way. I want to either be a White House correspondent. I want to be on the NBC, you know, major news mm-hmm. and or running a, a production company such as Paramount. So this is where things start to shift because around 2003 2004 was when you launched your brand with your husband with just one product a few questions about this time ordinarily I ask brand founders about the specific gap that they identified in the market but would I be right in saying that 2003 at that time there were probably no dedicated brow brands you would absolutely be correct in fact you know when I saw the demand in the marketplace. I, I knew immediately to start researching the lash market. So the mm-hmm. lash market at that time was exploding. Every brand was coming out with a different lash serum, um, lash conditioner, what have you. And it was it was really quite fun to watch, but I saw there was nobody talking about eyebrows, which is like literally within you know millimeters of each other, right? And so it's like, okay, you've got this small space. People are talking about lashes, which I totally get, but facial recognition, everything expression is all about the brows. And so I went to this Beverly Hills boutique that sold really niche items. And I found this Switzerland based formula that was hands down what I'd heard was one of the best in the market, reverse engineered it, went to a chemist, researched how to find a cosmetic chemist, took that formula, took the phone call, 
she had a meeting. I thought, this is it. This is, we're going to do this. And sure enough, she said, we can take this formula, reverse engineer it, tell you what it's comprised of and how this could perform if it were to be used on your eyebrows. And from there, we never stopped. So had you, when you started doing this research, were you still working on the TV show or had you left and thought, okay, no, I'm committing to this 100%. So I was a freelance producer at that point. So real TV, yeah, real TV had wrapped. I'd worked on shows such as Fame for 15, my big fat obnoxious boss. I mean, I was bouncing around from job to job. And when this opportunity arose to launch BillionDollarBrows.com, I said, this is my full-time job in my head. This is my full-time job. This, these, these jobs that actually pay the bills are my side hustle, right? Yeah. Before side hustle was even a thing. And so what came to be is put the website up, launch the product. Within 24 hours, we had our first customer. And it was like, we're doing this. And my husband, who at the time was writing scripts, he's a screenwriter at the time, mm-hmm. writing scripts for um, various independent movie um, producers, said, can I help you? Well, cause he's at home, right? He's home-based before home-based people were even a thing, which is everywhere now. Right. So I said, yeah. So I came home from my job at lunch. I would fill all the orders, pack them myself. And he said, can I help you? And I said, you know, it'd be really helpful if you just put these in packages. I'm organized here. And he goes, great. Yeah, I can do that. I'm like, okay. And that's how we started working together. And he's never stopped either. So it's one thing to identify this gap. And so you've obviously researched and you've had the formula reverse engineered and you've gone from there. Another thing entirely though, to turn that formula into a brand. So how did you decide on a name? How did you find packaging? How did you physically get this product into people's hands? Yeah, Uh, it was, it was focus groups. So I created Mm -hmm. a focus group that, basically was the first of its kind. So I went on Craigslist, Craigslist to source, I know, source people. And I said, I have a brand new product coming out. Please meet me at this coffee shop in uh, Santa Monica, California. And people apply. I said, tell me about the condition of your eyebrows, why you choose to use this product, name, age. You know, I needed to have data on each of these individuals. And I had people coming left, right, and center who said, sign me up, sign me up, sign me up. And I said, okay. So I give them the product. They went home. I had them do documentation of, you know, how it applied on, what would you change about the component tree? You know, would you buy this? Is this something that you think, you know, that the world needs? And time after time they said, yes, yes, yes. And so not only did it validate my vision, it, it provided me that inside data um, to launch it and keep, keep one upping myself in terms of formulations and branding and marketing and, all the above. God, focus groups are such an effective thing, but I feel like I don't hear much about them anymore. So many people are like, oh, I've just passed the product around to my friends and family and they loved it. Of course they did. Right, right. You've got a, you've got a, a group of people that it's really tough to say mm, this doesn't have legs, right? And yeah. so when you choose a sounding board, and I tell this all the time when people ask, like, who do I bring into my inner circle who's going to give me that honest information? You have to really be judicious about who those people are. If it's one person, go hard with them. If it's more than one, just know your audience and you have to be straightforward in asking that information. Maybe something you don't want to hear. Mm. Being 
first to market in any space is it's always a positive thing, but there's also going to be some challenges in that there's that additional education piece that has to come along with it in order to convert people into consumers of something so new. So how did you go about doing that? And what was the response like from the general public on launch? Uh, When we launched immediately, it was overnight success. Amazing. I don't, I, it, it, it still shocks my mind because I was able to buy Google AdWords for nickels, pennies, makeup, yes. cosmetic, brows, and nobody saw this white space. And so I was, and mind you, I am self-funded. This is all mm. us and I own this company. There's not one penny that went into this that was, you know, so I'm doing credit cards. I'm doing, I'm doing the side hustle. I'm doing everything that it takes to make sure that this product is successful in its launch. Because if it isn't, I'll adjust, I'll pivot. Uh, this is going to work. And so having that ability and that mindset, that steel trap is so important to me. And so having those Google AdWords didn't helped write tremendously and having a killer website, having a killer website. This is before social media. Yeah. So putting, yeah. So putting all these ducks in a row, for lack of a better term, I don't like that because I'm a very much of an animal person all made sense and so having that that foundation provided the success god that's good foresight to see the value in digital as early as 2003 2004 yeah and i really had no desire to be in a retail location so i i let digital be digital and then i let the professionals do what they do best so i went back to home base right mm-hmm. i knew that the professionals would love something like this to have in their back bar or in their retail space and so it was that tete-a-tete between the two that fueled i would i would actually give products away to professionals i say use this in your back bar carry it in your retail space and tell me if you like this give me feedback i went hardcore guerrilla marketing and i said if if it sells then you pay me if it doesn't sell pass it away or give it back to me that that was just very black and white about it and i get the calls any more any any more brow boost any more brow boost i'm like uh so then i'm writing scripts I'm, I'm side hustling with my brow boost. I'm doing the, the, the mostest with the mostest. And that's how it came to be. I love this. Were there any other big lessons that you took from that time when the brand and really your experience as a business owner was in its infancy that you find you're still applying to your work right now? Oh, absolutely. I think late nights, early mornings. Yeah. I'm a big fan because when before people wake up, get up earlier. When people go to bed, stay up late, right? All the noise between the hours of, let's just say 7 a.m. and 10 p.m., your brain is, you've got, you've got groceries to pick up. You've got kids, if you have kids. You have so much going on in your own day-to-day life, laundry. That, so that gave me the free time to think outside of the box, if you will. And so for me, it's about time management, holding true to it and following through and making notes and following up on them. Don't let those notes slide. So at what point did Billion Dollar Brows grow from that one product, Brow Boost, to a full range of brow products? What came next? Very organically, I, I received an email from a woman who said, she uses Brow Boost, it's amazing. I give it to my friends, I buy it from my mom, I buy it from my, my babysitter. And I said, oh, wonderful. She's like, but I need to know when are you coming out with your next product? Because now my brows are looking amazing. What else do you have? I said, what else do I have? What else do you want? 
And that's literally what I said to her. And she goes, well, I think I'd love to have a pencil. I, I think there, you need to come up with a pencil. And I said, then we're coming out with a pencil. And that's how Universal Brow Pencil came to be by way of birth through this woman who told me what came next. And so listening to your customers, listening to people that, again, you trust, that's, that's how it came to be. What year was that? Because I'm just thinking at that time, I was probably still doing the old angled brush with a bit of brown eyeshadow and just trying to make that happen for me rather than a dedicated brow pencil. Yes. Yeah, you know, I I, I look back because it's so fuzzy. It's like you're you're in the moment and you're you know, mm. it's like probably probably we're just gonna take over the world by helping women condition their eyebrows, right? So that's 2004, and I literally think it was within less than a year I started getting inundated, not only from her initial email but from various people, and worldwide, mind you, worldwide who were asking for more products. So then it was 2005, the Universal, 2006, the Brow Gel. It just started to become a thing. And between those three products, condition, color, and control, we had we had enough runway to then build upon that. What are your non-negotiables when it comes to developing new products? Non-negotiables are everything must be cruelty-free. Mm-hmm. That's first and foremost, right? We love our animals, nothing, nothing. That's, that's, that's a non-starter. And for me, as a problem solution brand, we just don't create to create. We don't, we, if somebody says, I need this, it's like, okay, I know you need it. How can we do that better? What is missing in the white space that's currently not being offered? So we do extensive research. So before anything is developed, before any prototypes are made, we do our research. Because we've turned down multiple offers to have products in our range that just don't make sense. Because as a problem solution based brand, obviously with Browboost, you've got conditioner, right? If you don't operate from that mission statement and you start straying, your whole your whole trajectory can go haywire within a second. We've touched on how brow care wasn't really a thing then like it is now. So at what point did you begin to notice that brows were becoming something of a trend? And what do you think contributed to that? You know, I started seeing what was coming out of the runways. And, I, you know, it's it's true. It's like what happens months in advance is, becomes the trend that is right in front of you. So I studied what was happening over in Europe and Asia and Australia. I wanted, you know, New Zealand. I wanted to see worldwide how people were looking at their eyebrows and interpreting their eyebrows. And so one common thread was everybody was struggling. The struggle was real. And so for any of our products that, again, that problem solution based is, is at the at, at epicenter of why we create the next product. And so we have not strayed from that. So we don't go fall into trends. It's about quality, performance at a fair price. Seeing competitors start to emerge, was that a difficult thing to reconcile with mentally? I understand that competition can be a really positive thing and a great motivator, but seeing other brands pop up around you, did that present any mental challenges? No, I I love it. I love it. I I think it, it breeds that sense of hustle. As soon as you get complacent, you're dead. You're dead in the water. The hustle's real. Stay alive. Keep your eyes wide open. Keep your ears open. Zip your mouth when you're not being spoken to and study tape. That That is absolutely my philosophy. 
competition, bring it on. Let's do this. I love that. I've got friends that own businesses in other industries, not in beauty. And they'll be like, oh, such and such has just brought this out. I'm like, okay, we'll just do better. Yeah, right. Exactly. It, it, that's, and that's the, that's, that's the, the epicenter of our, of our being here. So our corporate office, you know, every single day, every single opportunity, every single email that goes out, we use that as our, as our foundation. I love that. As of 2015, I'm sure this number has changed, but Billion Dollar Brows was stocked in something like 32 countries. Have you noticed any major differences in the ways that people from different countries approach their brows or perhaps any sales trends that differ from region to region? Uh, uh, Yes. I would say there's a lot of different trends that at any given time are kind of like evolving, right? Mm -hmm. And so what I love about uh, the different trends, again, call it, is that they're all fluid. And so I, I pull from our, our Japanese um, distributor and our experience in Japan and studying how they approach their brow and how the brow hair grows. Um, obviously, Mecca and Australia and all of our um, New Zealand fans, you know, fluffy, feathery brows, right? That has mm-hmm. always been on point. And that's what I, I, I came home from one time from a Mecca convention and I was like everybody we need to like master this fluffy brow that I saw in Australia. and it was it was like they're like well tell me more tell me more and I was like it, it starts with the tops and it's feathering it's fluffy and um and it really it, it, it's just as simple as that and then obviously in Europe we've been to UK Ireland and we've done a ton of um business overseas with Scandinavia and it's just unique and it's so special and just seeing these beautiful women come alive by way of their eyebrows is truly a special thing to watch. It would be remiss of me not to ask you some brow specific questions. What are some of the biggest and perhaps the most common mistakes that you see people making when it comes to brows? Yes. Most common mistake. And I don't see it as much now, but it's still prevalent is taking too much off in the middle. Mm -hmm. You take too much off in the middle. You're, you're instantly, sending your whole facial symmetry out of whack. And so what I mean by that is, okay, let's say, let's say you take too much off your, your eyes are far apart. Your nose gets out of place. Your lips are off kilter. Like it's amazing if you take off just like a titch on each side of your brows, how you look. And I've done this personally to myself and not knowing it. And it is like, ah, that's when brow boost comes in, right? So fix that. But to me, that's number one, too much off in the middle. The arch is a very personal thing. I mean, I have more of an arch. You have a little straighter of an arch, right? Mm, Less of an arch. And we both pull off what we have to work with, right? And so that's what I love is working what what you have and not trying to be, oh, I want the Angelina Jolie brow. I want the Zoe Kravitz brow. I want, you know, no, that's Zoe. That's Angelina. Let's work with what we have. And that is a beautiful thing. Third, uh, I don't think this is as common, but it used to stopping short the brows, stopping too short is like, ah. So those are the three key points, too much off in the middle, not working with what you have in the arch section, and then at the end of the brows, stopping short and taking that off because it's there for a reason. We're born with these beautiful brows, thick, thin, or otherwise. And when we start messing with them, we start messing with our overall facial symmetry. 
God, I love that point about the arch and how everyone's different. Last year when we were in our big, big lockdown here in Melbourne, I thought, you know what, I'm just, I, I can do this. I work in beauty. I know what I'm doing. And I thought I had done a pretty good job with the shape. And then when we were allowed back into salons, my brow technician was like, Jem, no, this is not your face. This is this is not how we do this. I totally get it. And I got, so during the pandemic, that's when everybody, because you're wearing masks, right? So we created this campaign called Beauty Above the Mask for mm-hmm. that person because our email inbox was blowing up. Our sales online were blowing up. Everybody was like, whoa, my eyebrows are the only way I can tell somebody at the grocery store, like, hi, or mm, your cart's in my way. And so people came to us with the, the most innovative questions and it really helped us look inward and understand what we've been preaching for the past 17 years. It was finally coming to fruition. I, I mean, I walk in a room, people say, oh, what do you do for a living? You know, and it's a brows. Oh, don't look at me, right? And they cover their <laughs> eyebrows. And it was like, it's not like that. It's not like that. Let's talk about brows. And so I agree, professionals understand the symmetry, they've studied it and it's their craft. And my only solution that I truly believe and has been very successful for us is believing in the Brow Buddy system. So the Brow Buddy tool is a kind of product that we we created um, well over, I want to say 15 years ago, very early on in the company. I said, if you condition, you color and you control, then you need to create. And so the Brow Buddy was the create of the four C's that we created. So this tool helps you create, start, arch, and end based on your facial symmetry. And so for me, that's a saving grace for myself. It's been a saving grace for various people. People lose brow hair to medicine, right? People have different scenarios. They go through stress, hormonal, um, or chemo, various situations that people face. And so recreating the eyebrow with symmetry and uh, without stencils, right? It, 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 it's been uh, extremely impactful for many, many people. What does your personal brow care routine consist of? Which products are your hero products? Here, I, you know, it's, it's like picking your favorite child, right? Yeah. So <laughs> I, I struggle with that because I go hard. Like I'll be, oh, I'm, every day I'm going to use a universal brow pencil. And then the next day, what I'm using today is the microblade brow pen. Mm-hmm. So I've noticed a lot of little grays popping up in my brows and I'm a girl on the go, right? I've got two young kids. I run a company and we're, we're in our busiest season yet. And I just said, it's the microblade today. That's the one that's going to give me coverage of my grays, really deposit that, that, that beautiful pigment into my brows and create a shape with the trident felt tip, which has three prongs. And it just works right now. Now, ask me next week. I could be back to brow powder. I could be back to the universal. I could be back to, you know, hint of tint. Like it, it, we, we really run the gamut, but I love them all so much. And um, it's fun to mix and match. I like this idea of having sort of a brow wardrobe. It's like people will have a fragrance wardrobe and you just pick and choose depending on the day. Why not apply that same philosophy to the brows? Exactly. Vibes. Vibes, right? Absolutely. Laser today may not work with the brow pencil. So mix and match. No, I love that brow wardrobe, taking that. Go for it. Send me an invoice. Yes, I'll do. I'll do. You have been a part of the beauty industry for almost 20 years now, which is crazy. Over that time since launch, what have been some of the biggest changes that you have seen within the beauty industry? Wow. 
my initial thought is how social media did not exist prior to the birth of our brand. Yep. So Billion Dollar Rock was born again in 2004 and social media was non-existent. Mm. So we went through traditional marketing and now looking back and looking forward, it's so much easier to see a niche in the market and get it to your end consumer and, and stay indie, stay true to your formulation, stay true to your audience, right? Because you can tell that message. It was our, big, our biggest struggle is how do we connect with people through a website and getting the attention. So we did traditional PR in the beginning. I would, I would talk to newspapers and magazines and you know your traditional form of communication. Now it's like instant. It, I, could, I could leave this podcast, go on my phone, say something, and I'll have an instant response from 20 people within 20 seconds. And that is just, to me, that is just like so wild. It's so wild. It's so fun. So it's, it's exciting. It's exciting to see these young brands come up and um, continue to innovate. And what changes do you think we can expect to see from the industry over the next few years? Well, what we can expect and what we'd like to see and what should happen is our reduction in plastic waste. Yep. Yeah, that is at the forefront of our, our initiative in launching the billion dollar beauty side of our business. So when when people ask, okay, when are you going to launch eyeshadows? When are you going to launch uh, blush and highlighters? And, you know, we want more. It had to be with purpose. And again, as a problem solution based brand, we just said, we looked at all the plastic componentry that we were consuming and we said, we can do this better. And so we started researching. And this is prior to um, the lockdown. And so we had this, we had this concept, right? And then when it came, we had a time to think, right? Because everything shut down we said, this is it. And we went hard in and we put all of our chips on the table and we said, Target believed in us. Target 700 stores said, we believe in that philosophy too. And we want to see you in our stores, January, 2021. And that's what made us validate our belief system and what the future of beauty holds and how we need to be held responsible for reducing our plastic carbon footprint. Because this climate change is happening and we need to do our part. Yes. Oh, Thank you. Thank you. Genuinely. Yeah. My final question, what is next for Billion Dollar Brows? Ooh, so much, so much goodness. We have some amazing products coming out that are all intertwined. We are, again, working on our carbon footprint, reducing our plastic waste, moving into a post-consumer recyclable plastic, right? Because you can't reduce all plastic. Our, right. our sole goal is to reduce. And by way of that, we have some tools coming out. We have some interactive um, digital aspects to the company. Yes. Yes. And so with the technology behind the billion dollar box, which again is magnetic, build your own palette, build your own box, eyeshadows, lips, cheeks, brows. It's all stemming from that. And that has really given birth to the future of billion dollar beauty. That was Natalie Plain founder and CEO of Billion Dollar Brows, which you can find on Instagram at Billion Dollar Brows. To read this interview, you can visit glowjournal.com. And for more beauty news, you can find me on Instagram at jemkwatts or at glow.journal. If you liked this episode, please do not forget to subscribe, rate, review and share so other beauty and business lovers can find us. I'm Gemma Watts. 
You've been listening to the Glow Journal podcast and thank you for joining me.